I'm journalist Carolyn Osorio, and I invite you to join me and my co-host, Brandon Morgan, on our podcast, Criminal Mischief. From law enforcement officers seeking justice to victims' families seeking answers, every week there's a new case and a new victim whose story deserves to be told. New episodes of Criminal Mischief drop every Tuesday. Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of Decoding the Unknown. As always, I'm your decoder, Simon. Welcome, welcome. The format of this show, if you're new, one of my writers in this case, Katie, has written me a script. I'm going to read it. I've never read it before. Let's just dive in. We're talking about the Kasha of Kaimaku, a Hawaiian horror story. By the way, I looked up the Kaimaku. Kaimaki pronunciation already got it wrong. Because <laughs> I once made a, a video, I think it was a biographics video about some Hawaiian person. And I read the whole thing and I thought I'd got the pronunciation right because I looked it up. And like, I don't care that much about pronunciations. Uh, it's shock to nobody. But like when they're the subject of the video, after I made an entire video talking about Leonardo da Vinci rather than Leonardo da Vinci, that's kind of a separate story because I, for my entire 30-something years of life, thought he was Leonardo da Vinci, not Leonardo da Vinci. You'd think no one would care, but people do. Then I made one about this Hawaiian person, and then I just got to the end of the video and I was like, wait, I just remembered the pronunciation of it wrong, even though I looked it up like 10 seconds before, and I never went back and recorded that video again because I just couldn't handle it because the pronunciation was so difficult. So we never made that video. <laughs> And ever since then, I'm like, Hawaiian pronunciations, oh God. So when I've been putting this one off, I've been putting off recording this episode of Decoding because I just know it's going to be a nightmare and I'm just mostly going to guess. I apologize, anyone who cares about this stuff. I don't know a whole lot about Hawaii. To be honest, the only references I can really come up with are season one of The White Lotus and underrated Disney movie Lilo and Stitch. Aloha! I've not seen either of these. I've heard White Lotus. I thought it was just White Lotus, but apparently it's The White Lotus is very good. I've heard several people on podcasts talking about how they're watching White Lotus and enjoying it. Um, so I will probably check that out. The only thing I know about Hawaii is, is where Lost was filmed. And I'm re-watching Lost right now because I watched a YouTube video of, with some dude who was like, everyone has got Lost wrong. It's actually amazing. Because I, I saw it like when it came out, what, 15, 20 years ago. And I really enjoyed it. And then I thought it was a bit shit at the end. And this guy made the argument that it's an excellent show. It was just ahead of its time because it's perfect for binge. So me and my wife, who's never seen Lost somehow, and we're watching it, like, and we watch an episode every day, and it's really good. I'm enjoying the hell out of it. So, oh my god, we're three lines in. I apologize, we're already three minutes in. That's one minute per line. If that's how we continue for the rest of today's episode, we're gonna be here until, uh, well, forever. Forever, because it's 13 pages. And I don't think either of those, oh god, what? All the White Lotus and Lilo and Stitch are going to help us much with this story. This is about folklore, murder, creepy things happening in a house that you really don't want to live in. So let's get to the good stuff and find out all about the Kasha House of Kaimuki. Honestly, it's probably a house I'd like to live in. Because it'd be a discount, wouldn't it? It'd be an absolute bargain. Because people would be like, oh, I can't live in that house. It's haunted by demons. And I'd be like, well, there's no such things as haunting or demons. How much, uh, like, just make a super lowball offer. Get that house. Boom. House in Hawaii. That does sound nice, right? Hawaii sounds like, I think I saw that movie with George Clooney, where it's about that family who live on Hawaii. The first line is like, you know, what everyone thinks about Hawaii is we all have no worries or whatever. And then George Clooney character's like, but I've got worries. And I remember quite enjoying that movie, but I think that's the only, like, <laughs> realistic. <laughs> I the, the, that's all I know about Hawaii. It's, uh, it's an island and it looks really nice. The story of Kasha. If you were wondering, by the way, the name of the place is pronounced, oh my God, Kaimuki? Kaimuki? That's not what I just heard on my pronunciation thing. I was like, 
Kaimuki. Kaimuki. Kimuki. Kaimuki. Oh my god. I, but I think Simon probably nailed this one without too much effort. Go Whistleboy. I don't even remember. I don't even care. Kaimuki is a neighborhood in Honolulu on the island of Oahu. Ah, uh, Oahu? O-A-H-U? Oahu? I'm pretty sure that's it. God damn, Hawaii. Come on. What the fuck, man? It's O-A-H-U and it's pronounced... Oahu. How? How? The only reason I know that is because it's famous. I should go to Hawaii sometime. It's really far though. It's like Australia. I'd love to go to Australia. It's just really far. Kaimuki is a neighborhood in Honolulu on the islands of Oahu. It currently has a population of about 50,000. It's apparently a bit of a foodie hub and it looks pretty awesome on Google Images. But somewhere in the residential area of Harding Avenue and 2nd Avenue, there lies a dangerous, restless demon intent on dragging unclean souls into the fiery pits of hell. Let's talk about Kasha. While Hawaii has many of its own demons and supernatural stories, the Kasher is actually a demon from Japanese folklore. I found this kind of confusing as to why would a Japanese demon set up shop in Honolulu, but apparently Japan has had a long love affair with Hawaii, with Japanese people immigrating there in solid numbers since the 19th century, so I guess the Kasher tagged along. The only thing, like, Hawaii and <laughs> the Japan that I tie together is f***ing Pearl Harbor. Oh, God. And and not like the naval base, but it's in the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Anyway, about this Kasha. If you've ever seen the kids' anime show Yokai Watch, I have not, not even heard of it. You'll be familiar with the term Yokai, which is Japanese spirit or supernatural being. Hopefully, I can pass the earworm of a theme song onto you now. It's one of those ones with a strong tune, but lyrics that are hard to work out, so it randomly pops into my head. Don't include this, whoever's editing it, because then I'll get a copyright claim and I won't get paid. Instead, the person who made that tune will get paid, which seems a little bit insane that they should get all the money, <laughs> considering that it's just going to be, what, a few seconds in this video. But that's how YouTube works, because it's stupid. I, I mean, I love you, YouTube. Thank you, business daddy. But, like, come on. Come on, that's ridiculous. So we're not going to play it. I'm so sorry. If this was just going out as a podcast, and hello, dear podcast listeners, it also goes out as a podcast if you want to listen to it that way, then I'd include the tune because on podcasts, it's like the Wild West. No one gives a fuck. But on YouTube, they have rules. If you haven't seen Yokai Watch, don't worry, you haven't missed much, apart from one episode which features a so-called cheek squeak, which literally has a bum for a head and farts out of its mouth. My kids love that one but it's not what we're here to talk about. Okay, this show sounds very strange. Kasha means burning or fiery chariot or cart, and the legend has it that it would screech up to the funeral of someone who has been a bit of a wrong and snatch them up and drive the poor soul straight to hell. Over time, the story and name of the Kasha got a bit more fluid and started encompassing other things too, so by the time one took up residence in Kaimuki, a Kasha was generally agreed to be a demon that could take the form of a cat and was partial to the taste of fresh corpse. Okay. It all started with a horrible murder where the father of a Japanese household killed his wife and children hiding their corpses around the Kaimuki property and in the garden his daughter's body was never found. Years later, two women lived together in the house and one started having an affair with a man. When he found out that she was already in a relationship with another woman, his feelings of jealousy turned into a murderous rage and he killed both women before finally killing himself. Was it all of these deaths that spawned the Kasha, or did the Kasha have a hand in them in some way in order to get access to some delectable corpses? Many more stories of people fleeing the demon house and strange things occurring there were passed down through the years, eventually making the house so notorious that just referring to it as the Kaimuki house was enough for locals to know what you were talking about. I'd still buy the house if it was cheap enough. Sure, there's been two horrible murders there. What's the chance of being a third? Well, identical. To any other place because just because there were two previously doesn't mean there's going to be another one it's just the same isn't it look at the logical brain look at the and you know what i really will notice the amount of money i save because that's real 
demons are not. It's just hearsay though. In August 1942, the Honolulu Star Bulletin published a story with the headline, Police Called to Shoe Ghost from Kaimuki. The article goes on to detail how an unseen force was attacking a young boy and his older sisters while their mother tried frantically to ward it off. When police arrived, they battled with the demon for over an hour and a half before admitting defeat, and the family temporarily moved out. Oh my god. A police battle for an hour and a half. Hawaii's American, right? So they're like, let it, they've got guns and they're like, pow, pow, pow. Is Hawaii a state or is it like one of those territories like Puerto Rico? It's really far away, but Alaska, no, Alaska's, Alaska's a state. Alaska's definitely a state. I know that. Look, this doesn't matter. I'm just curious. It's suitably American for the police to have guns and probably be a bit loosey-goosey with them. In October 1972, the Star Bulletin again printed evidence. <laughs> those are my, um like speech marks, inverted commas, right there, evidence of the Kasha striking. Three teenagers who were living at the haunted Kaimuki house called the police when they thought they heard something moving about in their home. Too scared to stay, they decided to drive to one of their mother's homes with the policeman providing an escort. <laughs> police, what are you doing? Don't you have proper crimes to take care of? The girl's car suddenly veered off the road and the police officer rushed up to find one of the girls apparently being strangled by an unseen force. He felt his arm being twisted by a huge calloused hand and ran off to call for backup. What, what, Star Bulletin, are you reporting news or are you reporting hearsay? You sound like a mega bad tabloid, sort of like the Daily Sport or something that we'd have in the UK. Is it the Sport? Which one's the one that makes up the stories in the mirror? I don't know if they printed anymore, but it used to just be like, ghost attacks policeman. And that's the sort of shit that they'd print. There's a news story, but it was just sort of made up. <laughs> When another police officer arrived, they took the injured girl in their car, but the engine wouldn't start. She went back to her friend's car, and both cars then started, and everyone drove off. Just a few seconds later, the door of the girl's car flew open, and the teenager was ejected into the road again, trying to fight off an unseen attacker. The situation was only resolved after one of the police officers threw water and salt from a nearby cafe over everybody, which he had remembered his grandmother telling him was a way to dispel ghosts. <laughs> what is going on? In 1994, historian Glenn Grant published Obake, ghost stories in Hawaii, pronounced Obake. Nailed it. Maybe I'm not bad at pronouncing Hawaiian. Nice. Which told stories based on the accounts of a real-life detective, Arthur McDuffie. The Kasher makes a scary and almost deadly appearance in the appropriately named The Kasher of Kaimuki chapter, where, as well as attacking the detective on more than one occasion, it seems to have gained a liking for ripping apart human bodies. So that brings us up to the present day, and you wouldn't think that The Kasher would still be hanging around, right? No, wrong! Writer Keith Mann lived in the infamous house for a year sometime in the late 20s. 20 teens. 20 teens? I've never heard it referred to that way. Is that like, you know, 2018, 2019, 2017? That sort of time? He had a vague 20 teens? Yeah, it must be. Small brain Simon, get it together. He had a vague awareness of the notoriety of the Kasher house, but according to a piece he wrote on his website, theoverlyopinionated.com, it was... <laughs> mm. that, that website title is a bit cringe, isn't it? I mean, no offense. What was his name? No offense, Arthur. It's a little bit cringe. It was only when he had to sit down and type out his new address multiple times to change it that it finally sunk in that it cheerfully moved into what was arguably the most haunted house in Hawaii. Whoops-a-daisy. Did he witness anyone being ripped limb from limb by invisible demons or see anyone being dragged off to hell in a fiery chariot? No. Did anything weird happen to him while he was living in the house? Oh, yes. Keith Mann states that he's not really a believer in the supernatural and is skeptical by nature, but he had a few experiences during his year-long tenure that definitely rattled his cage. I have to say, look, if I was a 
And I'm not saying that Arthur's doing this in any way whatsoever. Maybe we'll come to that conclusion later in today's episode when we've learned a little bit more. But if I was writing a book or a blog or whatever about ghosts, I'd be like, I started off as extremely skeptical. And it feels like, yeah, but were you really? Were you really? Or are you just saying that to make your argument stronger to say like, Oh, I've been on the other side. I've been on the other side. Like, I used to be like you. <laughs> You know, that kind of bullshit. Like I said, I'm not saying that's what he's doing, but I'm just saying if I was to write a book about ghosts, I'd be like, oh, I was extremely skeptical. I didn't think ghosts were real until I found out about ghosts. And if I ever write a book about, you know, explaining how ghosts are real and my experiences with ghosts, either A, make sure I'm okay. Like get me one of those wellness checks. <laughs> Be like, make sure Simon's okay, get him, you know, and check his carbon monoxide detector. Or it's either that or I'm, uh, I'm grifting. I'm doing the grift because I want to sell more copies of my book. He also had multiple neighbors and passersby stopping him on the street and asking why he lived there if he'd seen the cashier and that they were surprised he'd made it longer than the usual tenant's day of about three months before fleeing in terror. So what did our man on the ground experience? In his piece titled, I Lived in the Most Haunted House in Hawaii, Man relates that on three separate occasions he woke up at 4.33 a.m. on the dot as if he had just been injected with adrenaline. I've just watched The Devil's Hour, by the way, where the main character wakes up at exactly 3 a.m. every night, so Man's story definitely gave me the chills. I very much recommend The Devil's Hour, even if it's a bit of a brain bender. Anyway, back to our Kasha tale. What is The Devil's Hour? Is this some sort of new movie that I should have heard of? I don't know that. I haven't been to the cinema in a very long time because I have kids now and they don't, you know, <laughs> they're too, too young. Although we took them to the cinema a couple of times to see like short films. They couldn't sit through a proper long ass movie yet though. And they definitely wouldn't go to see whatever The Devil's Hour is. <laughs> After being rudely awakened, Keith Mann would realize that his room was really cold, 60 degrees Fahrenheit in fact, which is about 15 degrees Celsius centigrade. Centigrade? Centigrade I feels like a word my nan would use. I'd say Celsius. Centigrade. It's the same thing, right? He had a portable air conditioning unit in his room, which apparently was only a cheap thing and wouldn't be able to get his room that cold. Plus, he had never had it set that low. He lives in Hawaii, remember, so nobody wants to be that cold at night. Each time he had the 4.33 a.m. experience, all the smoke alarms would give off one beep together. Big whoop, maybe their batteries are running out. Au contraire, says man. All of the alarms were separate and not centrally connected, so for them all to chirp at the same time is unlikely, and for this to happen each time that he had a strange experience is downright weird, as it occurred three times inside of a year. Well, if they all chirped exactly together, how do you know they're all chirping? It's like a very, boop, you know, indistinct, loud sound. How would you know that they're all doing it? We all know what a smoke alarm chirp sounds like. It's it's hard to pinpoint its location. It wasn't just the cold and the smoke alarms that freaked him out, though. Each time he was awoken, he had the strongest feeling of there being an unseen presence in his room, and he felt like he had been stabbed by a white walker. My veins were filled with ice water, and I thought my life force was being drained out of me. My chest was tight. I struggled to breathe. No matter what I told myself to calm down, the feeling crept through me like a virus until I could barely move. A White Walker is a zombie ice creature thing from Game of Thrones, in case you were wondering. Uh, I've never seen Game of Thrones. Sorry, I've seen the first like, couple of episodes of Game of Thrones because everyone was telling me I gotta see it. I didn't like it. But like, I know what a White Walker is. I mean, I don't really know what it is, but I know it's from Game of Thrones. Is what I'm trying to say. Game of Thrones is like pervasive in culture. In these scenarios, man eventually would be able to run out of his room and by the next day, the aura of a pissed off demon would have faded and because the rent was cheap and he liked his housemates, he eventually forgot about the creepy encounters until the next time it happened. Nobody else in the house seemed to experience anything like he did, so man concluded that his bedroom must be over the spot where the multiple murders or other bad acts happened. He moved out of the house a year later and the cashier didn't follow. He states in his piece, he 
100% believes that the Kaimuki house is haunted, but as his experiences weren't that bad and stretched out over a year, he concluded with, overall, 7 out of 10 would get haunted again. I do like this guy's got a sense of humor about it, though, but I don't... I just don't believe it's real. I just don't believe it's real, but I enjoy the humor. Decoding the Cashier Stories. All right, we've heard the stories. Let's now get our Cashier on and rip them apart. Piece by piece. These are all the stories. This is all the proof. Ah, come on, it's not real. Someone's gonna get a bargain on this house. We'll take it right back to the start with the demon itself. As we said, the origin of the Kashra is from Japanese folklore and was apparently a fiery cart that picked up unworthy people's corpses and drove them straight to hell. This somehow became warped and changed over time, possibly by mistranslations or by merging with other tales to become a sort of corpse-eating, shape-shifting cat demon. The Kashra that reportedly set up shop in the Kaimuku house uh, was also now some sort of violent spirit that had started attacking the living. So basically, the thing in the house isn't what the myths and legends books would really recognize as a kasha, but let's keep calling it that for want of a better demon name. I don't know. Well, let's just call it John. <laughs> now I'll keep calling it kasha. Isn't kasha kasha? Isn't there a singer called this with a dollar sign in her name? I don't know why I know that, but I know that. I'm disappointed in myself. I probably don't like her music. The murders near the start of the story of the dad who killed his family and the jealous man who killed his lover and girlfriend, while horrible, seem to be unsubstantiated rumors. These are something that would be very easy to like look up and see if it actually happened because there are these things called police records where they have like an address and there's a murder and all of this stuff. It's easy. So uh, by unsubstantiated rumors, we just mean they're untrue. I couldn't find names, dates, details, or anything about them, so I guess they're just urban legends attached to give some sort of understandable origin story to the Kesha house. Plenty of other murders have happened in Honolulu, and no other location appears to have birthed a demon, though, so let's investigate further. The newspaper article of 1942 is kind of something of nothing. While we originally presented it as proof of the Kesha, when you read it, it doesn't exactly make believers out of skeptics. According to the article, two police officers, quote, found a Hawaiian boy, 10, and his two sisters, 18 and 20, shrieking on a sofa. The mother, besides shrieking, was waving tie leaves and sprinkling Hawaiian salt to ward off ghosts. At 10 p.m., she said her son had detected an odor of ghosts. Angry at being found out, the spirits first attacked him, and then repeated attempts to strangle his sisters, she said. So this is police reporting on something that someone said that's then being reported in a newspaper or whatever. It's like, come on, please, it's clearly made up. Someone at some point is making this up, and it's probably the people who are reporting it to the police, which then gets embellished and then embellished again and then embellished again and then de-embellished by me. I didn't know ghosts had an odor, but there you go. Apparently they do, and they get all snippy about it when you sniff them out. The strangling aspect is probably the most interesting thing for me here, as it comes up again in my next example. But sticking with this one, the mother then goes on to say, quote, My husband who left me is to blame. Not sure exactly what she's getting at here. Is he the one merrily attacking his own kids, wearing an invisibility cloak? Did he summon demons to do it for him? If demons spawned every time one partner leaves the other, I think half the population would have been strangled by ghosts by now. Anyway, the police were not able to do much to help. As the article reports, after one and a half hour struggle, police and family yielded the home to Kahuna and retreated at 3am to the mother's sister's home. Wow, an epic 90-minute struggle with the supernatural, and that's all the press is given? A Kahuna means a preeminent person or thing, by the way, i.e. the demon was in charge of the situation. While the story is actually documented in a the newspaper, there doesn't seem to be a lot to it, and can maybe be written off as some sort of hysteria within the 
family, or maybe Simon's favorite, carbon monoxide poisoning. Yes, yes, this should be everyone's favorite because people reported many more ghosts in the past before we had carbon monoxide detectors. Symptoms of carbon monoxide detecting uh, uh, leaks and uh, poisoning are seeing this sort of shit. Come on, we all know it. Maybe ghosts smell like carbon monoxide. You can't smell carbon monoxide. That's why it's so dangerous. And only a few people could detect it. Maybe this small article is hardly proof of anything apart from the wife getting a jab in about her ex-husband. So let's move on. By the way, the the people, like, the, they have to come around once a year and inspect the, like, heating boiler in my office. They just came this morning to make sure that I wasn't getting poisoned. And I'm not getting poisoned! I mean, I have carbon monoxide detectors in my office, but they have to come and do, like, a manual... I don't know what they're checking. They're checking the, 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 the something to make sure that I'm safe. <laughs> Which is nice, because I don't want to get poisoned to death. The next part of the historical record that supposedly relates to the Kaimuki house is the piece about the three young women or teenagers who were attacked by the cashier while driving away from the house. Again, an unseen force tried to strangle one of the teens with a police officer, confirming that the hands and arm he apparently felt definitely did not belong to any of the women in the car. What do we make of this story? Again, we've got young women being attacked and strangled, police involvement, and the sprinkling of salt to dispel the spirit, which worked in this case. Surely this warrant a bigger write-up than a brief mention in a local paper. And looking into the article more, the story actually appears to be one of several in a larger piece under the main heading of spook stories. <sighs> okay, so yeah, it was written up in the paper, but it was in the part of the paper that's like literally ghost tales. Spook stories. I mean, it's just, it's basically saying what follows is fiction, really, isn't it? That's what we're getting at here. Are we smelling a rat or maybe a ghost here? There are no names of police officers or the women involved, and the residence is mentioned only as a house which the neighborhood considered haunted. The article was written by Lois Taylor, who was a popular features writer for the Honolulu Star Bulletin for over 35 years. The spook stories piece was published on the 31st of October, 1972, Halloween. So is it just a collection of made-up spooky stories to get the readership in the mood? Or was Taylor re-reporting real local spooky stories that had cropped up during the year? I'm not sure, but again, one invisible strangulation story does not proof of a demon make. Indeed, it does not. Maybe the girl was having an allergic reaction or an asthma attack, so it would be clawing at her throat as she was having trouble breathing. Maybe the police officer got his arm stuck in the car window or something, or one of the girls did actually have a much bigger and more calloused hand than normal, and in the chaotic scene, it all seemed more irritating than it actually was. I doubt it was spraying salt around that did anything, but the other police officer also poured a glass of water over the girl, which may have helped shock her out of a panicked state. If it was a totally made-up story, that's one thing, but as you can see, you could poke enough holes in it to remove anything supernatural anyway, so again, it's hardly a convincing case. Yeah, most likely, it's just all made up. Second most likely, uh, even if it isn't made up, it's got perfectly reasonable explanations, so let's move on. What's the next part of the Haunted House tale? Ah, yes, the book that was published in 1994 by Glenn Glenn Grant. Grant moved to Hawaii in his 20s and was a teacher, historian, and author, being especially interested in Hawaiian folklore, myths, and legends. The Cashier of the Kaimuku House appears in Abaki, Ghost Stories of Hawaii, a book where it takes on Detective Arthur McDougall, who was based on the real-life private detective Arthur McDuffie. I guess this type of tale keeps these stories alive and well in the public's imagination, as some stories 
stories in this collection are presented as true, or at least true accounts, and some are fictionalized. Also, everyone in this story is called Arthur. Arthur McDuffie was a real investigator in Hawaii, and Grant did interview him, although he states in his book that he used the character for a series of fictional stories, and that he did it in a pulp noir style. He also said, changing the surname so as to liberate him from historical fact, Art McDougall was born, first appearing in the Honolulu Star Bulletin. Wait a minute, that's where the other articles in the story were published too, although I guess there weren't that many different newspapers published in Honolulu at the time, so that's not so surprising, but there were at least two. Anyway, thanks to the author's own disclosures, we can establish that the Kasha story in Grant's book is a totally fictional account using the Kasha legend as a jumping off point. It's all fiction. It's, oh, I sound like a broken record, not just in this episode, but on this show. Although I had one the other day where I was like, I quite believe in this. And then, oh god, I can't remember who wrote it. Was it Ilza? I think it was about the Megalodon. And I was like, yeah, no, I quite believe in this. Maybe it does exist down in the depths of the ocean. And then Ilza destroyed my belief. <laughs> Okay, never mind. It may also be a good time to note that while I gave the approximate location of the Kaimuki house at the start of this story, it was not specifically mentioned in any of the newspaper stories or in Grant's book. That means we don't even know if the newspaper examples took place on the same street, let alone the same house, but they are now forever linked to the story. According to Lapaka Kapanoi, who runs a blog called Ghosts Next Door, he went on a tour of the area with none other than Glenn Grant himself when looking for the Kaimuki house. Kapanu writes, he pointed to the second to last house on the left of 2nd Avenue at Harding. He briefly mentioned that there might have been a headstone in the back of that house where the ghost of the mother-in-law of the infamous Kasha story was buried. That house, according to Glenn Grant, was the Kasha house of Kamuki. Now, I don't know who this mother-in-law he's talking about is, but I'm guessing it's from the story hero for the Abaki book, which I have not read. No mother-in-law character pops up connected to the Kasha story that I've otherwise found, but at least we have a tentative location for the house now. I've also seen the location given as 8th Avenue in Harding, however, so it seems that the actual address is as nebulous as the cashier itself. Except hold the phone, this Kaimuki house, this cashier house that we've been going on about for the last however long, uh, 30 minutes, doesn't even exist anymore. That's right, buildings in the whole area around the demon house were demolished in around 2016, and modern duplexes have been put up instead. That means that our next example, Keith Mann, who recently lived in the house, actually lived in the new construction, not the original Kaimuki house. He already knew this, but ascribed this haunting he experienced to the ground the house stood on, rather than the physical construction of the building. Okay, mate. So now we're saying that the cashier wasn't attached to murders committed in the house at all, but is somehow attached to the land. It's not an ancient burial site as far as we know, and man freely admits that his landlord had lived in the house with no weird experiences happening, although if you were trying to rent out rooms, you're hardly likely to mention the fact that you might be ripped apart by a fiery demon unless you really didn't read the small print. So, how can we explain Keith Mann's experiences as anything other than supernatural? How about through many, many, many different ways? I'll start with one I have personal knowledge of, the smoke alarms. Even if the battery is not dead, they can randomly chirp in the middle of the night because the temperature has dropped, which can sometimes affect the battery output enough for it to trigger the low battery alert in your detector. Man said that the temperature had dropped to about 60 degrees Fahrenheit in his room, which might be cold enough to affect the alarm. He said all the alarms would sound together, but if they're all in separate rooms, how could he be sure they were all going off? Exactly. It might have been just one in a specific spot that made the 
noise seemed like they were coming from elsewhere. I've been woken up by annoying battery chirps, and sometimes it's taken quite a while to find out which smoke alarm is the culprit, so I end up changing all the batteries anyway. We also have two that are dual smoker carbon monoxide detectors, and they were alerting us of carbon monoxide, which was pretty worrying, but I was sure it was all just due to battery failure and that we were not about to die of carbon monoxide poisoning. My husband thought we should call the fire brigade, but I scoffed at his caution, which thankfully I was right about, otherwise we might all be dead. <laughs> I don't know if the carbon, the carbon monoxide detector, though, it's got a little reading on it, doesn't it? Although the ones in my office don't. They just beep. beep. Well, I've never heard them beep. beep. I should make sure they work, actually. I assume they'd start beeping if they were stopping working, but I've been here like five years, and I've never heard them go off, which now is concerning to me. Maybe I'll get some new ones just in case. They're like wired. Oh, they're wired into the building. I don't think I have to have it because it's just me. <laughs> I should probably check that. I mean, I definitely am up to fire code, 100%. My office is 100% up to fire code. <laughs> yeah, those fire extinguishers are checked regularly. The smoke alarms are all locked and loaded. The fire exits are clear. That's right, 100%. Did I think it was a demon? It never crossed my mind. Was I pretty pissed off and grumpy the next day? Absolutely. The answer was that the detectors were over 10 years old, so I just went to the hardware store the next day and got a bunch of new ones. Problem solved. Maybe Keith Mann just woke up because the temperatures had dipped. Yes, this happens even in Hawaii, and he had heard the alarms chirping on the edge of his hearing and hadn't realized what had woken him up. Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't put that together. <laughs> so it could be just the smoke alarms just beeping at 4.33 for some random reason. I can't explain why the presence or the cold internal feelings. Maybe he was sick on some sort of medication, having a panic attack, or just psychologically keyed up to feel paranoid and scared upon being woken up in the middle of the night. Totally. Who hasn't felt creeped out from time to time, even in the safety of their own bed, when you know 100% that there's no possible way anything could have gotten into your room? I'm not trying to totally pick apart every single aspect of his experience, just trying to offer some rational explanations. That's okay, we can pick it apart, because you think it's nonsense. He might believe it, but that doesn't make it true. As always in these stories, it's the human experience factor that can't be explained, and no matter who you talk to, people will always believe what they want to believe, even if proof to the contrary is staring them in the face. Let's cart this cashier home. For a place that's supposed to have the title of the most haunted house in Hawaii, the Kamuki House or Kasha House seems pretty tame. Apart from the word-of-mouth stories, there is no documented evidence of anything happening there, and the two small articles in the papers do not give a street address, so we're not even sure if we're talking about the same place. Historian Glenn Grants pointed out the house to Lepaka Kapanui, but even if that was the correct address, the house has since been knocked down anyway. No evidence of the original murders has been found, and as previously stated, real-life horrible murders have occurred in Kaimuki and surrounding areas without another house spawning a demon or vengeful ghost. Even the description of what Akasha is has been totally warped over time, so we don't know if whatever was lurking at the Kaimuki house was actually Akasha or some other sort of demon. Yes, yes, I know demons are not real, but the non-canon version of this Kasha compared with the original Japanese Yakai just adds another layer of confusion to the story. I feel confident in saying that the Kaimuki house is an urban legend, and that, especially now the modern buildings have been put up in its place, nobody has anything to fear from a fiery cart or shape-shifting cat demon. And also, you never did, even if you were staying in the original house the day after the fictional murders. But, you know, if you have the misfortune to find yourself in that haunted bedroom, maybe keep some Hawaiian salt by your bed just in case. Yeah, it's only serving to make you feel better, though, because none of this is real. Thank you for watching or listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.